Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 20. Listen to the reading of God's holy word. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will he get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you that you have placed in that word everything we need for life and for godliness. Lord, you have known before eternity began, from way before time began, you have known that this day would be here and that this portion of, wor of your word would be explained and taught. Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart. I pray that this would save many in this congregation from future disaster. Lord, I pray particularly for those that are, are young and are contemplating what their life might look like, the choices they might make. I pray, Lord, that they would make a resolution today by your mercy and by your grace with your power to be faithful to their marriage partner all the days of their life. I pray for any who are wavering today in that commitment. I ask, Lord, that you would right now speak to them, convince them, convict them, and put them on a different path in their mind, their heart, and, their, and in their behavior. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And together God's people said, Amen. If you've noticed that 
several times already in this book, this sin of adultery has been mentioned. At the beginning of chapter 5, we had a section of dealing with that. We've looked at it in a number of places, and we'll look at it again. You know, if you thought about it and you said, why does, why does the writer to the Proverbs, why does the writer of Proverbs, why do they make such a big deal about this? You know, you look back over the history of people in the Bible, and you think about how many people, no matter who they were and how closely they walked with God, it was some sin of sexual immorality that caused them to fall. Apparently, the reason that God wants this lesson spoken and then spoken again, He wants it iterated and then reiterated, He wants it pressed in and then pressed in a little more, is that this is a pervasive sin whatever time period people live in. We think about how this has has literally captivated people and we live in a day and, and an age where Sexual relations between people before marriage, people don't think anything of it. When you're married, having sex with somebody who is not your husband or wife, the world, maybe they think that's a little bit off, but it's not a big deal. You have a day where literally the only thing that matters is what you think matters. You can sleep with whoever you want to. You can sleep Uh, in, In any kind of setting, in any kind of way, you make the commandments, you make the rules. As long as nobody gets hurt. But yet, you see all across our nation, people are not just involved in these patterns, but they're not happy. They're bound in them. They're bound in pornography. They're bound in lives of immorality. They're bound by the sexually transmitted diseases. They're bound by patterns of thought and behavior that they literally can't look at another person without having their eyes full of adulteries, as the New Testament says. Their heart is literally eaten up by this. And because it is such a common sin, a sin that that trips up men and trips up women, it's something that God says, you need to hear it. And you need to hear it over and over again. I remember uh, hearing Warren Wearsby, who was a great preacher from the 20th century. He preached on the radio. Great, you know, just a good Bible teacher. And he talked about being invited to a junior high to talk about to the kids about why they should not commit sexually immoral acts. And he went and he said... You know, the first time he went, he went and described, he said, well, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he went to some of the New Testament passages that make clear, like the one we read, we're not to even have a hint of sexual immorality among us. And he said he just watched the kids, and it was just like their eyes were just glazed over. They just didn't care. Couldn't get through to them. Went home, and he was praying about it. And and he said the Lord put on his heart that, Not only did God have in the Bible the prohibition against sexual immorality, but God had a way to get to the heart and minds of people, particularly young people, so that they would see why it was such a problem. And he said in that moment, he went to these chapters 
of Proverbs. And he saw chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and he thought about these chapters and he asked at the first chance he could to come back and speak. And he went back and he used those chapters and their description of what happens when you are sexually immoral, of the consequences, uh, of all of the sights and sounds that are described of, of coming as the disastrous consequences of adultery and of sexual immorality. And he said the children, the young people, were spellbound. And what he realizes is it's not just the truth, but, but God has ways of communicating truth. And I think there are no passages in the Bible that will help us to understand thou shalt not commit adultery more clearly than these graphic passages here at the beginning of Proverbs. But before we come to that portion, which is the main portion of our text for today, we look at verses 20 through 23. In those verses, he's coming back to the theme. Remember, Proverbs, particularly these first 10 chapters, are put in a very concrete context. I know some of you uh, women are wondering, why, well, why is it always the evil woman? Why don't they ever have the evil man? You know, it just kind of, it bothers us. Remember, there is a concreteness to the examples. What's the concrete situation that the writer to the Proverbs is using? It's a father, primarily, and a mother, secondarily, speaking to a son. That's just a concrete way. You can take it back and generalize it and realize that, that yes, it's not just the evil woman. It can be the evil man. Those of you who are, are teenage girls and you're dating and your boyfriend is pressuring you to have sexual relations, you take these admonitions and realize that there is actually this is written to you for you to stand strong for you to realize that that goes against God's plan for your life and will ultimately put scars in your body and in your mind and in your spirit so what is the concrete situation look in verse 20 my son keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching here again he starts with this the word in front of son, my son. It's not only saying the possessiveness, but it's saying the tenderness. As we've said numerous times, what this means is, if you're a parent, it's not your job to teach every child on the planet. It is your job to teach your children. And you can't just farm it out, right? It can't be, well, there's sex education at school, or maybe there, I hope the Sunday school teacher talks about it. It is your job to teach your children about all areas of life, and especially these really foundational areas that continue to trip people up generation after generation. So it's a term of tenderness. It's a term of possessiveness in the sense of that child is your responsibility. Notice it says, keep your father's commandment. Do you remember when we've seen that word back in chapter 2, verse 1? My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching and let your heart keep my commandments. There's a difference. What's the difference between those first two and this one? It's no S on the word commandment. It's a singular commandment. Because in this case, he is talking about the commandment of being sexually pure people. 
how important. It's not all of the commandments. It's focusing in, honing in on this particular area. And so it's keep your father's commandment in regards to this particular sin. And then notice, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Literally, the word there for teaching is Torah. This is the word of God, the instruction of God. That means that both parents are to be involved in the religious and moral instruction of their children. You, if you say, you know, my job is to provide for my kids, my job is to take my kids to school, my job is to make sure they've got clothes, they've got food, but you don't understand that first and foremost, your job is to be their first teacher of what matters most in life. Sure, you may not be able to teach them calculus. You may not be able to teach them things that specific teachers way down the road will teach them. But you are called of God to lay that foundation in their life where they hear the basic truths of the Bible. Biblical truth explained and biblical morality presented from the pages of Scripture. So every parent is to be a religious teacher They are to be the teacher of not only Christian doctrine, but of Christian practice, of how we are to live in line with the Word of God. So many times kids become teenagers, and they've never heard these things talked about. And the only teachers they have are their friends, what they hear through the media. All of those become their teachers. And then you wonder, why why do they not believe? Well, you did not take the Word of God when they were young. And you did not impress upon them, explain to them, help them to understand. And literally, they become impermeable. They become calloused. They can't receive the word of God because their heart has been hardened by sin. So if you're a parent right now, make a commitment. I am going to teach my children. It is my job to teach my children the basic truths of the faith and the basic way that we are to live as believers, in line with God's word. Well, what are we supposed to do with this commandment and this teaching? Notice in verse 21, bind them on your heart always. This has been the greatest surprise for me in the book of Proverbs, is to realize how essential for living of life in the Old Testament the heart was. You know, I knew the verse, the uh, chapter before, uh, or two chapters before, chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. But, but I had not thought about chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It, it means that when you're teaching your children, you're not just saying, do this and you'll be good. That's not what you're saying. You're saying these things need to be something that are in your heart. It's not just, I mean, you think about how many times we do something, we do the right thing, but we hate it. We don't like it. We don't want to do it. And here what this is, is this is you as a parent, when your child's heart is tender, you're wanting to impress on that heart. So there's not just, it's not just some fact they know where they say, yeah, if I'm going to obey my parent, I'm going to do this. And then they go off to college and they just are, live a completely different life because they were only doing what they were doing because it was your rules. It wasn't God speaking to them by his word. They had no fear of God in their heart. And that's what you're trying to do 
is you're trying to press on them this into their heart. When it says, bind them on your heart always, that idea of always means repeatedly. This is not something you can say, you know what, I talk to my kids about sexual immorality, I talk to them about all the dangers of that, I talk to them about how they can be pulled into it by friends, how they can be pulled into it by things they see on television or, or see on, on the internet. I, I, I talk to them about that once. When it says always, it means repeatedly. Let me tell you, the world is giving messages every day, every hour, and you've got to be on top of it and say, this is my job. We need to repeat this message for our own selves, but especially for our children. Always continuing to bind these messages under their heart. Tie them around your neck means that it's not just a hard thing, but it also is something that's going to come outward. It's going to be visible practice. Then you notice in verse 22 what the benefits of this commandment about sexual purity, about the sanctity of marriage, what the effect that this has. Look in verse 22. When you walk, they, that's the commandments of God, the teaching of God, will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. Now there is so much there, but let, let me just at basis say this. One of the biggest problems we have with our Bible reading is we read our Bible as though it was some airtight compartment and then we go live our life by an entirely different set of principles. What we need to do with Bible reading, it's not something to check off of a list. Like you read a history book and you say, yeah, I've got those facts in my mind. It's then you are called to examine your own mind, your own heart, your own behavior, and to say, how do these truths guide me? How, how do these truths apply into what I'm facing? Right now, when I turn on the television, how does this truth apply? When I'm talking to my friends, how does this truth apply? When at work, I'm faced with this particular temptation, how does this truth apply? My mind, how does this truth apply? So it's got to be that we take biblical truth and we're realizing it's going to be when we're walking, when we're sleeping, when we're awake. Every aspect of life needs to be governed by God's word of truth. Now notice it says when you walk, they will lead you. That means you're walking down and you're facing whatever situation as you're living biblical truth it will tell you, this is the way you go, and that's the way you don't go. Everybody, temptation is not the sin. Yielding to temptation is the sin. And so we, we want to say, God, would you lead us in a way that would help us to go away from sin and toward you? Notice it says, when you lie down, they watch over you. You know what that is? That's protection. You're so vulnerable when you're asleep. And he says, you know what? If you've got the word of God and the truth of God hidden in your heart, when you lie down, it's a protection. It's not just a leader. It's a leader when you're walking. It's a protector when you're sleeping. And then notice this final thing. And when you awake, when you wake up in the morning, they will talk with you. You know what I've found? That even though I'm really sleepy for about the first 30 minutes in the morning, it's the first 30 minutes that I think that God can get through to me more than any other time in the day. 
After that, I'm too distracted, too busy, a little bit spiritually hardened. But those first 30 minutes, don't you sense that? God is sort of speaking to you, and it's like you're thinking back over your former day, what you did well, what you didn't, what you're facing in that day that lies ahead. And when it says they will talk with you, it means, do you ever have that dialogue in your head and you go, I shouldn't do that. Uh, Maybe I should do this. This is the path I'd go. It means that biblical truth is your counselor. Everybody's saying, oh, I need a counselor. You've got one. The Holy Spirit guiding you to understand biblical truth. You've got a 24-7 counselor. And you know what? He doesn't charge $100 an hour. You've got one, and he's always going to point it out. You've just got to take the mute button off and realize as you've hidden Scripture, as this sermon is in your heart and you're walking through this week and the Spirit of God brings the Word of God back to your mind, that's the sword of the Spirit for you to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and then you're to pray in the Spirit always. That means you'd say, God, I'm dealing with this struggle. Lord, would you help me? And so the Word of God, what do you notice? It's a leader. It's a protector, and it's a counselor. The Word of God speaks. When it's inside of you, you remember it. That's why we tell children, as the Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, why does the Word of God lead, protect, and counsel? Verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This world is filled with so much darkness that calls itself light, right? This is the way. If you want to, you know, just whatever you want to do, you follow this. But the Word of God is true light in a darkened world. And as you see it, it is a beacon of light. It is leading you home. It will lead you through the pitfalls of life. You don't have to understand everything about it. You don't have to be able to explain or defend every verse of Scripture. But if you believe it is the inspired, without error word of God, and you are willing to base your life on it, you're going to walk by it, by faith in the God who spoke it, then you don't have to know that this path that you're on Every twist and turn, but you have to have confidence that the path that you're on by the grace of God will lead you safely home. That's all we need to know. We've got lots of things in this word of God. It's a lamp. It's going to help you to see that next step that you need to take. So often we want to know everything. You can't know everything, but the word of God will give you light, whatever you're facing, whatever difficulty. I remember... This has happened numerous times, so just put it in a more generic way. People just telling me, yes, I know that, you know, I should not have this relationship with this woman that's not my wife, but you just don't understand. My situation's a little different. I've heard this so many times. Jennifer's seen me get (laughs) into almost fisticuffs with friends over these issues, right? Just saying... You don't understand. My issue is just different. You don't understand how bad my wife is. You don't understand how difficult my situation is. And, 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 and this is the thing. Everybody is trying to judge their actions upon the basis of the situation. And the only basis upon which you should judge your actions is the Word of God. There are no extenuating circumstances when it comes to the clear teaching of Scripture 
in this area of sexual fidelity within marriage and moral purity in every stage of life. Notice it says the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So some of you are saying, oh, you know what? I've kind of fallen in this area. And right now you're feeling just lots of conviction, maybe discouragement. Once you start going down a path, it's hard to go down a different path. What does it say? The reproofs of discipline. We've learned that beautiful word, musar. It means God's correcting you. So if, if, this is one of the beautiful things. God doesn't say, you know what? You fall one time, done. God's saying, look, I'm today teaching you. You've gotten off the path. Get back on the right path. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. If you're involved in a relationship that is ungodly, change that behavior or break off the relationship. If you're married, then you need to be faithful to that partner and that partner alone. So take the reproof. It's meant to correct you. And what does it say? It's not meant to correct you for pain. It's a way of life. I don't like being corrected. I don't know about you. Maybe you just love being corrected. I don't like it. I like to just naturally be right. So I want to be right all the time. I don't like it, but you know what? The older I get, I realize, boy, I need it. When I get off track, I need to be corrected. And what does it say? It's not meant to hurt you. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Receive it. Right, Lord? I mean, there's not one of you in this room that can say, you know what? I'm perfect. If you are, please leave. Because we're going to certainly mess you up. This is, we're all people that are struggling. And this is, the, the Bible, you know, the Bible's meant to make you uncomfortable. It's meant to correct you, right? It has that function. Um, we, we've been going through in, in my Sunday school class, Bible translations. And one Bible translation from where I grew up in Belize, it, talking about 2 Timothy 3.16. I'll put it in English, but it says basically one of the purposes of the Bible is to scold us when we need it. It scolds us when we need it. And you know what? I need it a lot. And I suspect you do as well. But it's not meant to destroy you, not meant to discourage you. It's meant to get you off of a path that's ultimately going to hurt you and to put you on the path of life. Well, what is the primary commandment that he's talking about? Well, look in verse 24. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. As I said, that could be the smooth tongue of the, of the adulterer, of the male, of, the, of the, the, the boy, whatever it is. It can be the smooth, smooth tongue, but in this concrete example, a son being taught first by father and then secondarily by mother. Father saying, look, there are a lot of women out there and they are going to sweet talk you, is what this means. They're going to sweet talk you into doing things that, that ultimately it sounds good, but it's going to hurt you. You know, when they say, you know what? Oh, I'm sure your wife just doesn't understand you. You're unappreciated at home. I can see what a wonderful person you are. Let me tell you what that is. That is a trap from hell meant for you. It sounds good. Oh, yeah, it strokes your little sad ego. And you go, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. I am. I'm unappreciated. My wife doesn't understand me. But what is it? It's ultimately, it sounds good. Her lips drip honey, 
but ultimately it will be gall. It will be rather than sweetness. It will be gravel in your mouth. So, you know, don't just, we, we judge people, oh, those are sweet words. Don't just judge words by their tone. Judge them by their content. Is this true? You are not an exception. If you go down the path of being unfaithful to your husband or wife, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt your children. It's going to hurt your church. It's going to hurt your town. It is a breaking, a severing. One commentator puts it this way about the adulteress. He says, her tongue threatens to cut apart the very fabric of the godly home at the seam where the generations are sewn together. Those of you who have been on the receiving end of relationships that have fallen apart because of of an adulterous affair, you know it doesn't just affect you, it affects your kids. It affects your grandkids. It affects holidays, where you go, who you can be with. It's just never smooth. Though the words were smooth. So notice there's a verbal seduction that this lady is doing. So don't just listen to words and just get sucked into that. These smooth words need to be judged by the plumb line of Scripture, not by the traitorous nature of your fallen heart. If it feels good, it can't be. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Right? No. How can it be right when the Bible so clearly says it's wrong? Then in verse 25, we says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her, let her capture you with her eyelashes. And this is interesting, isn't it? He's gone from verbal seduction now to physical seduction. And, and he's, the, the father is knowing how this son is going to be tempted by the physical beauty. And how that physical beauty, notice it doesn't just say desire her with your eyes, but with your heart. Because Jesus said that, that he who has lusted after a woman in his heart, it, it all begins inside of you. So somebody says, well, no, I really not committed adultery. Let's ask this. You've not committed adultery, but if we could open up your heart. Maybe it's just a seed, but it's a real seed. And the way to use Barney's language, you've got to nip it in the bud. You've got to deal with it in the heart. Don't deal with it. Oh, man, now I'm, I'm in this situation. I've been thinking about this for years. You deal with it in your thoughts. You deal with it in your affections. You get happy in God, not happy in a relationship. And then you're able to give to the relationship, not just take. But, but here, the father is so realistic. The mother is realistic about the power of the physical beauty of a woman. And how literally this woman is trying to seduce the man. It says, capturing you with her eyelashes. The idea of, of makeup, literally, a, a, as being this nonverbal way of seducing. And let me just tell you, modern society, modern advertising, all of it is meant to say what matters most about you, women, is your body and how you present it. And if you're appealing, 
That's what matters. That's where your worth is. Even good, godly Christian women think that's what matters the most. Proverbs is going to end. You know what it says? The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Because you know what? Beauty is fading. Beauty is fading. Charm doesn't last. But fear of God lasts forever. That's the true beauty, the beauty from within. It doesn't mean you need to be Amish. It doesn't mean you need to walk around in, in you know, styles from 300 years ago. It, it does mean, though, that you need to be careful, you need to be modest, and you need to say, what am I communicating by how I make myself up and by how I dress? The New Testament just says it really clearly. Be modest. Be modest. And men, be aware. Be aware that you can be led astray by physical beauty. And notice it's that, that beauty in your heart. I mean, do you remember what literally led to virtually the destruction of King David's family? It was one look at Solomon's mother. And then that look, he dwelt on it, and before you know, he brings her there, and then he ends up becoming a murderer, a liar. And then his children turn against him. Why? Because he did not stop the look. He dwelt on the look. Now, notice, he's going to give you a quick reason here. It's going to be the same thing. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. So he's just saying, look, adultery has an immense cost. He's not defending prostitution here. He's just saying that when you cheat on your marriage partner, when you sin against them, that they're that you are actually engaging in something that is going to be a destruction for you. It is going to be a, she is a femme fatale. She will bring you down. And, and then he asks these questions. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? I mean, you notice how he's getting, he's trying to engage every bit of the mind and imagination. And he's saying, look, if you're going to carry like fire, burning fire next to your chest, do you think you're not going to get burned? Do you think you're going to be the first person in human history and say, yes, I can commit adultery, but it's not going to have any problem. My kids will be fine. They'll be happier. They'll be happier if my wife and I aren't together because we're not happy now, and so they'll be happier. Oh, I've heard it all. Lie, lie, lie. You're holding the fire to your chest. You're going to get burned. Some of you felt the singeing of that. You will bear on your body the scars of that. You can give testimony to that. Or can you walk on hot coals and his feet not be burned? Here he's just saying, look, you, you think that somehow that you can avoid consequences? One of the great truths of Proverbs is not just putting forth biblical commands. It's saying, here are the biblical commands and here are the consequences if you break them. The, the, really one of the great wisdom teachers or teachings of wisdom in Proverbs is saying, what you do has consequences. cheat on your wife, your family's broken, how often will you see your kids? Be an old man, living far away, be difficult, right? I mean, it doesn't happen the same way in every situation, but there are scars in every situation. And he's saying, look, there are consequences for it. And then in verse 29, so he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will be will go unpunished. 
Notice the neighbor's wife. What is sin is this? this? is not just adultery. This is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. The tenth commandment. And he's saying here there are consequences. I mean, maybe today everybody is much more relaxed, but there was a day and time right here in the South, if you were cheating on your husband or wife, your case never went to the court because somebody was going to take justice in their own hand and the court would just say, oh, well, right? So-and-so got shot because his wife was in bed with somebody else, right? It's just the, it's the way it was. And, and even if it doesn't happen that way, you see all of these mean, horrible divorces that literally split people apart, that, that literally, as I said, leave wounds on the body. And so he's saying here that there will be jealousy by the spouse that has been scorned, by the spouse that has been cheated upon. The man who has been, is the cuckold, will literally come and take out vengeance upon you. Verse 30, it says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all of his goods of his house. And here he's just saying, look, if you're caught in this sin, not just God's going to punish you, but the person whose spouse you were sinning with who you have stolen from them, they will punish you. And then he summarizes in verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. In other words, if you just want to think about it rationally, I'm going to take another man's wife, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, so you look at it and you say, well, I think I know better than God's word. It's not rational. I mean, who wants to hurt themselves, right? He says, you can't make a rational argument. It is destructive. I mean, you notice all these people who in, uh, you read about, see on television or read in the papers. Does it look like when they end up cheating on their spouse that they go, oh, no big deal. I mean, you just think of the lives that have been ruined and people that have been hurt and children that have struggled as a result of this. It just doesn't make sense. Let me just also say this. By the way, do you know what the greatest destroyer of wealth is in the United States of America? It is the adultery that leads to divorce. It is divided homes and wealth has been spent, heaven help us, on lawyers and, and all of the crazy things that happen financially. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. If you just aren't even operating on God, you're just operating on what's logical, it doesn't make sense. Ultimately, what do you do? He who does it destroys himself. Why would you do that? Why would you destroy yourself? What do you get? Wounds. That it's the same word where it says, uh, none who touches her. The touch there in verse 29 is a touch of pleasure. And in verse 33, it's the touch of a punch, of a punishment. Wounds, physical pain dishonor in the community, you're, especially if you're a believer. I mean, you just think about the destruction. I mean, everybody, oh, that's a Christian man. Look how he acts. That's a Christian woman. Look how she acts. There's dishonor. And let me tell you, it's something, it says, his disgrace will not be wiped away. It stays. It lingers. Verse 34 and 35, for jealousy makes a man furious. He will not Spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. You can come and try to make right. You can try to gloss over it, pay your way out of it, talk your way out of it. 
It destroys lives. Um, this is a, it's a hard word, but you know, I love this about the Bible. God loves us so much, he's willing to tell us the hard truth. And he's willing to show us, not just say it's wrong, but he's willing to say, look what happens if you go down that path. He gives you a, a portrait of Christmas future. And it's not a pretty portrait. So, right now, wherever you are, if you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness, if you, need, if you are on the precipice of some sin, right today, say, God, would you please, would you help me, would you strengthen me? I see what your word says. And in the power of the one who loved me and was faithful to me, the Lord Jesus Christ, I desire to live a life that would bring honor and glory to you, even in this area. Would you pray with me? Father, we know this is, this is hard. We'd rather something else to be talked about. But Lord, you know what we need most and what we need today. And, and you've appointed this for today. And I just pray that, that every person in this room will take it to heart. Lord, we just think of how many families, how many churches have been stung by the sexual immorality and the adulteries of people in their midst. Lord, we're not to live like the world. The world will have to answer for itself, but, but Lord, we are to be your people. We're to be imitators of you. Lord, I thank you that whatever our sin is that right now, that we have forgiveness in Christ. But Lord, I pray that for, for those Areas and paths we've never walked down. I pray that the greatest thing you would do for a lot of people in this room is keep them. If they're at a, at a, a fork in the road, that they would choose the way of life. They would choose the way of fidelity, of being faithful. Even if it's hard and even if it seems not to pay off in the short term. That they would say, I'm living for the honor and glory of God. And I want at the end of the road not to have left behind a, a minefield of broken lives. But instead, I want to leave behind just an example of not a perfect person, but a person who sought to obey you in this important area. Lord, thank you. We make this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And together, God's people said, Amen.